I'm Audrey Hollenberg Duffy. And I'm her husband, Tim Hollenberg Duffy. We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together under the faith umbrella of Anabaptism and Radical Pietism, more specifically in the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, for Jesus. We've always enjoyed chats about faith life because we found in each other a companion that gets us, even when it doesn't feel like we fit in the boxes of American life or mainstream American Christianity. We believe the Church is crucial to faith and practice, and yet also accept that religious institutions are crumbling. We believe being disciples of Jesus Jesus rarely fits a pre-made container. So join us for our meanderings as we try to find a faithful Jesus way forward. Welcome to this episode of Coffee with the Pastors, the podcast. We're going to continue in our overview of a book by Bob Schmitana, Reorganizing Religion, that uh, Tim has read and is giving us a summary of and helping us to think about the state of the church. But before we do that, uh, let's jump in and do our where we've seen God recently. So, Tim, where have you seen God? The big thing that happened in our family here recently was a car accident, mm-hmm. which is no fun at all. And you know, I don't, I don't know that I subscribe to a belief uh, that God was like so active in it all that God um, protected us in particular of that accident or anything. But certainly, God was with us through that. I think kept us calm and clear-headed to accompany our kids through it, and I'm grateful for that. And just the community that I think God has surrounded us with to support us through it mm-hmm. and give us attitudes that are calm, peaceful, at peace with it, not wrapped up in things, but grateful for each other. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing I'm a forever learner. I can't help myself. And so um, an opportunity came for me to take one of the classes for the program that I organize on multivocational ministry. And so I'm in my first week of that class and enjoying reading one of the books that, that is kind of a theological foundation for why multivocational ministry exists. And I'm just really loving the the emphasis on how all of life is sacred. And so it was just reminding me recently that even moments that are mundane can be opportunities for vocation and for noticing that God is active. Great. Well, we'll jump right in then to the uh, book Reorganizing Religion by Bob Schmitana. And I'll remind you that... uh, um, Shmatana is looking at kind of the state of the church from a perspective of a journalist who's covered all kinds of religion news over the last uh, decades, probably. And he's got some great insights from that perspective. He outlines through the book kind of three major chunks with three, three big questions. We started with the uh, where we stand, where's the church, what's the current state of the church, and we looked at a lot of statistics of decline and numerical decline in particular. Um, The second chunk was why people are leaving or why people leave. And we looked at a variety of those reasons, reasons just related to subcultures and the infighting that's happening in the church and the way politics have entered into the church in some very unhealthy kinds of ways. And that has now set the stage for what we'll talk about today, which is where do we go from here? What's the church's next step, right? And you could have all kinds of answers for this. And I want to remind you, this is from a journalist perspective. This right. isn't a pastor or a uh, 
So he's uh, not necessarily offering theological reasons, but more social, cultural. Yeah, he's making observations of just, these are the kind of churches that I've seen, and these are places where it's intriguing, and this is places where I haven't seen a whole lot of fruitfulness, and I mean, this is, I think, a really helpful perspective. I, mm -hmm. I think it's a nice, a nice lens to take a pause and look through for for a moment. So he started off, which was a really interesting place to begin, with this group called Sunday Assembly. Have you ever heard of Sunday Assembly? Mm -hmm. So years ago, there were some leaders of uh, kind of a secular humanist perspective, people that had been in church before, but had various falling outs or falling from faiths, and so they found themselves outside of the church with no need to go back to church as they knew it. However, there was a longing to a certain extent for pieces of the church that they missed. And I, I really liked this quote from one of their leaders, uh, what I really missed was church, not God. And so I always wondered, is it possible to have all the wonderful things that church does, like create community and help others and encourage thinking about the world, yourself, and improvement, but without the God bits? <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> uh, well, was it? <laughs> well, uh, Sunday Assembly is still a thing, I think, but it's certainly stalled. And so some of the observations that Smetana makes about that, and I, I'd wonder about too, is in general, these folks that would be classified as nuns, the non-religious, mm -hmm. aren't particularly good at organizing mm. and why aren't they good at organizing? Well, there might be like a capacity to organize because they're already involved in yes. various other, maybe they're throwing their extra efforts into civic things or sure. throwing it into their, their kids' lives or whatever instead of mm -hmm. church. Or there's just a reality that it's probably really hard to organize something that looks like a church and smells like a church, but it doesn't have a messiah, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, you know, having a, a donut that just doesn't have the jelly in it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Audrey likes jelly donuts. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, there's a, I don't know, there's a secular humanist. There's some lovely people out there, secular humanists that that have a, a love for engaging the world and trying to put good into the world. Mm -hmm. And they're about service and genuine dialogue and conversation. But to form a group for that? Mm -hmm. right that's that's tricky mm -hmm. and it got me thinking a little bit about like what are groups that attempt to do some of the churchy things mm -hmm. without god yeah they're often some kind of community organization that surrounds themselves around doing good whether mm -hmm. that be like the lions we've seen healthy robust lions groups that do like the medical equipment rental that are really important in sure. communities yeah all those social Mm -hmm. um, social elks. service clubs, elks and rotaries. And, yeah. And yet they also exist for another purpose. Right? Yeah, it's, often it's, it's often a, it's a networking yeah, place as well. Yeah. Which is which is fine. Yeah. That's that's an important element of community I, business work that leaders. That happens in the church too. Yeah. 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 Making yep. connections with people. Yeah. But but that has um you add in that layer of, okay, how's this serving our other parts of our lives, our work in particular? Well, mm -hmm. it's creating networks of social exchange with right. these folks instead of always being transactional business exchanges with right. with each other, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's a good, probably will fall short of 
what some secular humanists would want with a deep, robust sure. exchange of beliefs and dialogue. Right. Yeah, and it's also, you know, those things were formulated during a time when structures were highly appreciated and valued. Yeah. And so to form anything new when structures are less important to people is probably not going to make sure. it. <laughs> sure. Well, and you wonder, I don't have statistics on this, but you wonder as corporations become bigger and there's fewer of the small entities, when you have a massive Amazon headquarters here in Northern Virginia, are those people going to want to participate in the Rotary? They don't need those social ex business social exchanges, right? I well, mean, Amazon is creating those experiences internally. internally. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. It, that That's going to exist differently. The other kind of church without God, I was thinking about the pantry that mm. we're involved with mm -hmm. around here. That's a secular food pantry that's run out of the high school, but a lot of religious church people participate in it, yeah, right? I mean, I mean, we support it as kind of an extension of our, our desire to express our faith in our community. And so yeah. while we're not explicit about our faith while we're doing it, it is because of our faith that we want to serve our community. And I, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but I know a lot of the people that participate as volunteers in the pantry are people they're, of faith. They're people of faith or their parents of students in that school that have a direct line of connection between what they see as important and being able yeah. to participate in it. Yeah. They all have a very particular focus, a particular end, right, right on those kind of social things. I mean, even PTOs, right? That's yeah. a that's a short-term group of people who are brought together for those few years at a school, right? right. Um, it's, it's, and they're issue-based. Yeah. They're not, like, relationship is secondary. We're, but together with our common relationship, we're mm -hmm. going to achieve a, yeah. a healthier school right. for these years where my kids are here, right? Whereas I think with the church, relationships and connection are primary, and then what you do is the extension of that. It's a it's a different foundation. It may there may be similarities in terms of what it looks like from the outside, but the motivation I think yeah. might be might be different. That's yeah. not to say that an individual couldn't participate in a thing like a pantry saying like I want to get to know the people that are volunteering. Sure. Often sure. You, you get involved because you care about that particular right. outreach. Right. So all this to say to me is I'm not surprised that attempting to do something like church without God... is maybe not working. <laughs> it's not working, right? And that just doesn't surprise me at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the observations that Shmitana goes on to, to name in terms of the statistics, when you look at that group of people who are those nuns, those non-affiliated mm -hmm. people, 5% of them are atheists. 5% of them are agnostics, he says. And so the vast majority of your nuns are just the nothing in particular. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not an they atheist. They label it. Yeah, they just, just they kind of just exist in this. I'm not. That doesn't necessarily mean they are antagonistic right. towards religion or people of faith. They might be the spiritual but not religious group. Or he introduced a term that was kind of new to me, the apatheists. 
like apathists the apathists apathists essentially or apathetic theists right they're just it's just not important to them Uh right it's just not on their radar it's not on their mind and that sounds kind of foreboding to people of faith maybe but actually that might be better than oh it's having a bunch of atheists out there yeah i mean if you're if if you're not antagonistic then there's still opportunity for relationship. But it's also no wonder then that that a secular humanist group is having trouble getting off the ground. Right. I if mean, you're apathetic, then you know that's not going to matter. Either. Yeah, that, I'm not going to connect with that either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that that's like this effort of trying to get this small fraction of actual agnostics that are out there right. to get together. And there, that's not to say that you know that's not a valuable. <laughs> oh, it might be. Yeah, I know people that would have probably really enjoyed the kind of conversations but would they place it as a top priority in their lives right i kind of doubt it yeah i mean i remember in seminary when we were trying to define religion and spirituality it was about connecting with something of utmost importance Mm. right the the ultimate being and so that ultimate word places a priority language on relationship and so if you leave god out (laughs) you've also lessened the priority of something Mm. that's not to say that it can't still be important but it certainly gets weighed probably a little bit more equally with other components of life Mm -hmm. than if god is still a part of the conversation yeah there's probably a lot of apathy even in the church too oh absolutely yeah i mean we've got you know, in your sermon this last week, you were talking about the the churchman trope of you know the people that uphold the institution. You know, they for a time played a really important role in the church in terms of like making sure the lights stayed on and you know running the business meetings. But these people often, not always, but often lacked some spiritual depth that could help communicate why church is compelling in the first place yeah churchmen need to be disciples too yes that's right (laughs) otherwise you're just a disciple of an institution right and that's no fun no yeah (laughs) especially as institutions are getting harder to maintain right i'll move to the last example or set of examples that that he looks at when you think about maintaining these institutions the reality is so many of them are rapidly descending probably into their final days mm-hmm. just because of the age of the congregation and the age of facilities and the kinds of programs that they are doing appealing particularly to the in-house and aging group that's there. So what what do you do? How do you take some control over what your future holds when you're in a a church setting like that? I think that's a question that has all kinds of answers. Right. Um, Smetana presents a dual stories to kind of illustrate what it looks like when a congregation has control over their future and takes some action, and one that doesn't, and his doesn't, is the Mars Hill Church, led by Mark Driscoll years ago, mm-hmm. that uh, just imploded around this charismatic pastor, Mark Driscoll, whose sexism and chauvinism was really fully exposed and it just mm-hmm. came falling apart the church fell apart all around him and that was a mega church with huge facility and satellites and the whole deal and so compared to that option also out in washington state was a little church 
that essentially got a pastor who was charged by the local bishop to essentially give a status report. Does this church have viability? And what's the future of this church? And, and report back to me. And the pastor kind of implements some changes, and there's, there's health, and there's good stuff happening at this church, but he reports back to his bishop that essentially it's good, but it's not going to probably last long, long term. And so the pastor develops a relationship, a cross-cultural relationship, with a Korean-American pastor also in the same community, and they get together and exchange, and they become good friends to the point where they talk about merging the two congregations. And not only with the understanding that they that the church would move into the old historic building and the older church's space, but that both groups would be members and that even the pastors would be both on staff, although the, the elder pastor put himself subservient to the younger pastor, which was an interesting dynamic. Mm. The story goes, and it makes for good journalism, that mm. that, that church quest church ends up in the space formerly occupied by mars hill with a korean american female pastor yeah. on the stage preaching isn't that a good story <laughs> that's, that's a story of the upside down kingdom right there that's right <laughs> that's right a neat maybe ideal kind of story of a merger not all mergers go that well and i don't think every declining numerical church should necessarily look to mergers as their way of self-perpetuation. I'm not sure every church needs to self-perpetuate. In a sense, some churches, especially small churches that are intimate kind of settings, might be more like a, a PTO, <laughs> right? Called together for a, for a time and purpose because of kindred spirits wanting to explore something together. And yet, other times... Uh, there will be churches that really want to take very seriously the Great Commission and believe that it is imperative upon them to exist beyond themselves and pass something on to a next iteration of congregational life. And I think Shmatana is really, he's really paying attention to that. He's mm -hmm. really paying attention to the perpetuation of the institution. Mm -hmm. um, not so much, I don't think, or worrying about good fruitful stuff that's happening in little settings. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, there's there's certainly instances of a church selling their building and becoming a house church and rethinking how they do ministry. They're still existing, even if they're not, there isn't a placeholder for that congregation anymore. I, yeah. I'm not sure Shmatana would necessarily be focused in on those kinds of communities in his journalism. I've also seen a couple instances where congregations have known that they are dying and rather than keep going until they've spent up everything mm -hmm. they make an intentional decision to be a blessing with what they have yeah and so they intentionally end that specific institution before everything is spent up and are mission focused in terms of what they do with their assets mm -hmm. yeah i mean the there's certainly something, especially small communities that have huge building spaces and like they're throwing just way too much money into the upkeep of that or having a, a full-time staff with somebody to manage the office and pastoral cares and, you know, all these kinds of things that that just doesn't always feel like good stewardship. So exist small 
or go be a blessing into other congregations. Um, but if you like being together, there's no reason you can't stop being together. But maybe think think a little more strategically about the use of of your limited resources. Yeah, I've also heard of, of congregations that have a primarily older white congregation originally owned the building, mm -hmm. but then they rented it out to like a Hispanic congregation that has actually been growing. Mm -hmm. And so they'll flip flop. Sure. And the Hispanic church will take ownership of the building. And then the Caucasian church becomes the renters. Right. And it's, I think when it's done well, the sale of the building is like pennies. <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. So it sets that congregation up for success. And then, you know, the Caucasian church is not then liable for this building. Sure. And so in that sense, the congregation can become a blessing in a new way to a congregation that's growing. There, and there may be other examples, you know, talking about mergers, where Sundays are sometimes the most ethnically separated separated days that's why i like i love the example of the quest church that intentionally becomes a multicultural community right. well that's one of his biggest observations about the growing churches that he's bearing witness to are often diverse congregations sure that are actually reflective of our real society mm -hmm. that's certainly a powerful image when you look at a lot of the churches that I've been a part of that are, are spatterings of diversity or might have some political diversity but are, but are pretty, pretty white. I remember though, you remember years ago we heard a speaker at a uh, church revitalization conference talk about uh, how we shouldn't be putting our efforts into creating diverse worship bodies. You remember that? I forget that, that guy's name, but there was an element of let the cultures have their own worship space and don't be preoccupying your minds with forcing cultural exchange. And I think I know where he was coming from. I think he, he didn't want like a white savior complex moving in to help you do this the right way. Sure. I think that's what he was getting at. I mean, there's certainly value in people being able to express themselves in worship in a way that feels authentic to them. Yeah. yeah. And that could be really hard to blend in a way that feels good to everyone, sure. right? I imagine that. But um, there will, would have to be a good bit of training, and maybe it requires thus something wholly new. Well, to, I, yeah, I think most times it does. So that we can do this in a way that we all feel like we're, we're worshiping, and we're all feeling like we're connecting with the God that we have come to know and love, right? Mm -hmm. So an interesting observation, I, I think, regardless. There are all kinds of models, though. I mean, for... Churches, if, if you want to think institutionally and strategically, there are all kinds of models, I think, beyond mergers and closures and the selling of resources and that kind of thing. There's merge and plant. There's, there's merging of components of ministry, even if you keep satellite congregations, but sharing of staff and resourcing, right? Mm -hmm. And sharing of sermons and teaching. I think what's, what's important in all of these is less the end model and more the questions that you ask that yeah. get you there. Yeah. What, what are you identifying as the pieces that should carry forward and what are the things that are non-essentials? Right. Um, and be honest about the non-essentials. We're not always good, I think, in the church at truly being able to identify this is something that actually is, is a non-essential for salvation. 
right. This is a preference that I can I can set aside for the sake of whatever this next step of the church is going to be. Yeah. And that that can be I mean that's resurrection right there. Sure. Which is is to say twofold that there's there's possibility and hope for the other side, but it also means real death of things. Yeah. And so we can recognize both the pain that comes with letting some things die while simultaneously investing in the hope that there will be something. Yeah. If, if we're doing this with resurrection intentionality, there will be something on the other side that is a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would, it feels like the height of my human pride to think that the, the way that I have structured this to work is the way it will always be. Right. Right. And that just denies uh, the possibility of, of resurrection and the movement of the spirit. Yeah, right? and it forgets that the way church exists today has not been the way it has existed for 2,000 years. Right, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've said this before, that when we talk about church, there is there is institution church, and then there is theological church. And so I think it's helpful sometimes to, to talk about, you know, there are the things, the structures that we put into place that hold the theological church the theological church is not being threatened it will exist Mm -hmm. because god is faithful god has instituted this it's going to be what we talk about as what's being threatened is those walls and roofs that we've put around the theological church to support it and Mm -hmm. undergird it and often what happens is we build those up for a time and they are really supportive and do a good job of helping us do the theological church. But there always comes a time where that no longer aids us in being able to do the theological church anymore. And so it's not our responsibility to keep the structure in place. (laughs) It's our responsibility to do the theological calling. And so we, we can't forget that the method is not the same as the mode. That's right. And the method can change so that we are doing the church that we have been called to do. Right. So what's next? Well, it could be a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) But God will continue to move and the church will continue to be. But our participation in it might look a little different. Mm -hmm. Or our kids, kids, kids participation in it might look a little different. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe that's okay. That is okay. This has been fun. Thanks for talking about this one with me. Yeah, thanks for sharing your your reading. Yeah. So next week is a Popcorn with the Pastors episode with our brothers on sports. Sports. (laughs) You know that Andrew Duffy is uh, all about the sports. That's right. Yeah. When I think sports, I think (laughs) Andrew Charles. Oh. (laughs) Hey, Andy's going to have really good insights into uh, Anyone can talk about pop culture related to sports you don't even have to know what what you do with the sports ball that's right you know that super bowl is happening that's right and culturally that super bowl is having an impact that's right right yeah Yeah. so join us next week as we talk to with our brothers about that otherwise thank you for joining us today on this exploration as always we welcome your feedback and further conversation if you want to reach out to us feel free to message us at coffee with the pastors podcast at gmail.com Until next time, this has been Coffee with the Pastors.
Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private, non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization. You can check out Bob Shmitana's Reorganizing Religion for more information.